you do need to spend time building up that support of general athleticism versus just jumping into running and people go from a 5k to a 10k to a half to a full and it's like darn you know what we never spent time at that really fundamental level that was lindsay romano and this is episode 31 of the inspired souls podcast hi i'm carolyn and i'm a roadrunner and i'm kim and i'm a trail runner welcome to our podcast where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Lindsay Romano is the owner of Skyline Run Coaching, a virtual business based in Airdrie, Alberta, with a team of two coaches and over 35 athletes. They create personalized and evidence-based running and strength training plans with an emphasis on enjoyment of the sport and long-term athlete development. Lindsay is a lifelong learner when it comes to both the science and art of coaching, taking into account the unique needs of every individual on her roster. I can attest to this because Lindsay is my strength coach, and I love the thoughtful planning that goes into each one of my lifting sessions. Among accomplishments such as running the Boston Marathon twice, in 2019, Lindsay outright won the Calgary Half Marathon and holds a personal best at the distance of 1 hour, 20 minutes, and 21 seconds. In this conversation, we delve deep into the importance of strength training for runners, fueling for performance, and reframing the idea of motivation. Let's get into it with Lindsay Romano. Lindsay Romano, Kim and I are so excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much for making the time for this and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kim and Carolyn. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. So before we get into picking your brain about strength training for runners, we'd love to learn a little bit more about you. So can you paint us a picture? Who is Lindsay Romano? Oh, that's that's a big question. <laughs> and I'll try to paint with decently broad strokes, I guess. So yeah, I'm Lindsay. I live in Airdrie, Alberta. I just moved back here. This is kind of my hometown. I was living in Hinton, Alberta for the last 10 years. And I'm a running coach. So I've been doing that for about four years officially. And prior to that, I actually took quite a lengthy hiatus from all things working to be a stay-at-home mom with my two children, Riley and Rocco. They're eight and 10 now. When it comes to certifications and who I am, what I do, what I find important, I have my RCA. Uh, level one certification, Training Peaks level one certification, and most recently I became NCCP trained through the National National Coaching Certification Program, which is through the Coaching Association of Canada. And I'm in the process of finishing the last few steps of that, which include a portfolio review and um, having someone come out and assess an in-person practice. On the strength side of things, I'm a performance enhancement specialist, which I got through NASEM, and I did that a little bit after I became really interested in the running side of things and, and launched my running coaching business because I realized that strength training was such an overlooked and really, really key part of the puzzle for so many of us, and I wanted the knowledge and the skills to be able to back that up and be able to offer it to athletes. Wow. Okay. So there's going to be a lot of 
things that we can unpack here with with everything you've just told us in this episode. And we're definitely going to talk about strength training and running. That's going to be a big part of what we talk about. But before we do that, can you tell us a little bit more about when did you get into running and give us a bit of your running background? My running background, I have no interest in athletics prior to, um, honestly, adulthood. I had my daughter, Riley, so she's 10 now. And I began running after she was born just as a way to stay in shape. And I've always found that and continue to find that such an excellent experience for me because I had a very unbiased, uninfluenced introduction into running. I got out there and I just ran. And I to this day have no idea how far I went or what kind of schedule I was on. I ran because it felt good and I ran because I genuinely enjoyed it. I didn't have a watch. I didn't have any apps. I had no sense of, you know, how you fit into this bigger picture and that I absolutely love. And what year was that, Lindsay? Um, Okay. So Riley was born in 2011. So I would say 2013. Okay. So in the last eight or nine years, I guess you have become like, you're, you're, you're being very modest, but I do happen to know that you're quite an accomplished runner and you, your career highlights include winning the Calgary (laughs) half marathon and placing third at the Edmonton marathon. That's uh, 2019 and 2018 respectively, right? That's right. So in, in the last nine years, you become uh, quite, quite a good runner. So how did it go from just sort of picking it up after your daughter was born to winning the Calgary Half Marathon in 2019? Oh, you know, what's so funny about that. It's like the seven year overnight success, right? right. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the things it. that happened in between, you know, those first steps, which were all about the jogging stroller to kind of some of the, those highlights that happened a little bit later on. And there's a lot to unpack there. I think first and foremost, one thing that I even reflect on a lot now is that running in itself is such a primal thing. And mm-hmm. I am a firm believer that we are, we're born to run and that's amazing. And I think sometimes that organic like free flow can really be taken away from us when we start to look at things like social media and Strava and make some upward social comparisons. And I truly believe that because of that start, the way that it was, such little pressure and just a deep enjoyment being found right from the start really was the precursor to the success that came later. I've always, I'm actually going to not say always ran because I loved it because I've gotten my wires crossed there a few times and it's become something that I've felt I had to do, which absolutely really led to a lot of injury and a lot of heartache versus something that I love to do. And I had some really great people help me along the way. My first coach I hired really early on once I decided that I wanted to be a little bit more serious about running. And I remember getting on the internet and being completely flooded with so much information, just trying to figure out how to set up my own programming. I thought like, this is insane. <laughs> I can't possibly sift through the sheer amount of information and, and decide what's going to work best for me. So I hired a coach and I was really fortunate to end up with a coach who was extremely focused on 
the fundamentals and setting me up to be a healthy runner and focus on the basics versus the big flashy workouts. And she also played a huge role in that base, right? That, that old, she was a, a big um, Lydiard uh, person. Mm, and he I always said, it. the bigger the base, the higher the peak. And, yep. <laughs> you know, if my, my own experience echoes anything, that's it. The bigger the yeah. base, the higher the peak. So I had a lot of things going for me in the beginning that just set me up to be able to dig in and do the harder work later that it, it took to get, you know, to, to those other finish lines. Well, it sounds like you were you were intentional in the beginning, I think, if you hired that mm-hmm. coach in the first place, but that really set you up. Like, how can you go wrong with the fundamentals, right? And I think this is an often overlooked, as you alluded to, like sometimes it's easy for doing those upward social comparisons on on social media. And it can be distracting, like that shiny object, right? Like, ooh, yeah. maybe maybe this this is the magic workout. But it really mm-hmm. is about, you know, putting in the miles and, and doing your strength training and some of those unglamorous, unsexy things. But what I'm interested in now is how you went from Lindsay the runner to Lindsay the coach. Like, tell us about Skyline Run Coaching. When did you launch that? Why did you decide to become a coach? What kind of athletes do you work with? You got all that, Lindsay? That's like yeah, four questions there. I just there. gave you questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I can, I can unpack that one. If I miss anything, you can you let me know. Um, Skyline Run Coaching has been on the go, I'm going to guess, for approximately four years, maybe a little bit longer than that. And the way that I got started was I was getting asked a lot of questions about running. And I don't know, it probably just speaks to my personality, but I'm a stickler for being able to provide people with good answers. And I guess what I mean by good answers is something that, that that's evidence-based, not just anecdotal, like this worked for me. So let's hope that it works for you. Cause I think oftentimes that's where we can really go wrong. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm getting asked a lot and I would love to be able to answer these questions and be helpful. But in order to do so, I felt I, I needed to have some type of, uh, I, I say like qualification at this point, and, and now I'm a little like, oh, well, you know, you could have a qualification and still not be able to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. So you could take this course mm-hmm. and still not be able to do that. And, you know, with coaching and, and probably with anything when you're you're dealing with human beings, there's just this a big onus to continue to learn. And, you know, it goes so far beyond taking a single course or reading one book. But anyways, I I wanted to be able to answer these questions in a way that would be helpful to the individual versus, you know, this worked for me. Mm -hmm. My first coaching course that I went and took, I went to Colorado and I took my RRCA uh, level one. That really was just the tip of the iceberg. And I I kind of sat on that for a while before I was like, I'm going to be a running coach because I needed more time. I wanted to know more about not just run coaching, but coaching in general. And yeah, at some point in there. I kind of got my legs and I felt confident that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go for this and I'm going to just start really small and take on a few athletes, a few people that I know. And it grew from there. So I work primarily with, I I should say I, um, because I have like, I would say a better half, um, a partner that I work with as well. Her name's Leanne Klassen, um, extraordinary athlete, extraordinary coach, and just one of the coolest people I know. So her and I, we work with roadrunners primarily and a spectrum of athletes. I think sometimes people are 
a little like you know shocked when they hear that we take on brand new runners and we have a handful of athletes that you know we've started out from very very early on with just walk run and worked with for for years to get to a point where they themselves are very confident and happy runners and then there's the other side of things um as well we have a big cohort of athletes kind of hovering around that sub 90 minute half marathon mark, which is a sweet spot for both Leanne and I, and then kind of everything in between there as well. You might know you're a trail runner and we are very, we do what we do. Uh, we know what we know. And when people come our way with trail running ambitions, we send them to someone who knows a little bit more about trail running. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think that's only fair. You know, you can be good at what you're good at. And then I'm like, okay, well, at some point, how useful am I when it comes to a hundred miles? And the answer is not. So, yeah. yeah. And I do the same thing with road runners who want to break a sub 90 half marathon. I'm like, yeah, I'm not your coach. <laughs> got someone for you where I can make a suggestion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Lindsay, the other thing you do, and this is how I found you, is that you do strength training for runners. And when I found you, oh, my goodness, it was like this exists like somebody does this just for me. It was like you were just plopped here on the planet just for me. And so I want to spend a good chunk of today's chat with you talking about lifting and strength training for runners. Like why? If you were trying to sell, I, I don't like that word. If you're trying to impress upon somebody why they should lift as a runner, what would you say? Uh, how does strength training support our running? That's the best question. Yeah, we say advocate for strength training. Because <laughs> same as you, I'm like, I should just sell it to you. But man, I would really like you to consider doing this. I think it help. For me, there's four main reasons. I think probably the one that everyone talks about the most being injury prevention all things to do with posture, stabilization, efficient neurological activation. And um, I think the only thing I would add to that is increasing your capacity to be able to tolerate work mm -hmm. on the injury prevention side. And we could, I mean, that could be a podcast all by itself. Like, for sure. <laughs> what do you do? And on that side of things too, when it comes to injury prevention, I always feel, especially since I'm talking to two physiotherapists, I don't work with injured athletes. That is not my scope right. of practice. And that's when I send somebody to someone like Kim, they need to be assessed, they need to be diagnosed, they need to be treated. And then they need to you know, get a green light from their physio saying, hey, you can return to run or return to strength training. And, and most likely there's parameters attached to that, that we are really careful to work within. Um, so yeah, not on the injury treatment, but definitely on the injury prevention side of things. Mm -hmm efficiency. I think this is the one everyone wants to hear about though, because for so many of us, one of our goals is like, how do we get faster, right? We all want that specific endurance, that ability to sustain a pace for X amount of time. So I mean, that could be in a 5k, 10k, a marathon, and we're talking specific endurance. That's really the name of the game, right? We have a goal time in mind. So looking at improving economy of movement, making running at any given pace, be a, a lesser effort, essentially, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that enhanced fluidity. It's that economy of movement that we're really after there. And that one is so well supported. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's one of those where you can like hop on Google Scholar and, uh, 
you will find very, very specific information relating to runners of a multitude of, dif of, of distances um, and how improvements in efficiency through lifting influence race performance time. Um, through the tech, well, put three and four together, technical refinement and uh, sensory intelligence. So just an increase in self-awareness, a connection between how your body moves and your mind. Um, I always say that like good runners are good athletes. They're not just yes. runners, right? They've got general skills. So it kind of goes back to that theory of the bigger the base, the higher the peak. They have a bigger base of general skills. And then they can build mm -hmm. on top of that. And I find that side of things, again, kind of really overlooked, but really critical. Well, running is such a, like, done in the sagittal plane, right? And I find yeah. a lot of times people can't move well or proficiently when they're moving to the side, right? Yeah. In that frontal plane. Yeah. Or, or even, Rotational even the too. transverse plane. Transverse, yeah. yeah. Which, which is yeah. involved in running a little oh, bit, huge. too. And it's yeah. like... You need to be an athlete first mm -hmm. and a runner second. And so I always, you know, when I'm in taking somebody, it's like, I like to hear about their sporting background yeah. and the more sports that they've played growing up. I'm like, yes, <laughs> they know how to move. They're competent, right? Very true. Very true. I think that's why there's always such an emphasis on staying away from early specialization mm. in youth sports. And it's because we don't, yeah, I want to make someone, you know, who's six years old, become a runner and only move you know, in that sagittal yeah. plane. And then you ask them to do a lateral lunge. And it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't do that. Yeah. And I think a lot of times when people pick up running later in life, and I would speak to this for myself as well, they don't have that athletic background. You, you do need to spend time building up that support of general athleticism mm -hmm. versus just jumping into running. And people go from a 5K to a 10K to a half to a full. And it's like, darn, you know what? We never spent time at that really fundamental yeah. level. And a lot of times when we get athletes that have been doing it, you're running for a while, like five or six years, and they, they're they plateaued essentially. Like, I've just run like 3.30 in a marathon for the last three years. It's like, well, where right. haven't you looked for performance gains? And it's usually yes. at that very, very basic level. Okay, well, we need to work on some athletic skills. We need to work on some pure speed skills if they've spent a lot of time in the marathon. And we just need to increase your general athleticism. And I've found that when it comes to engineering performance breakthroughs in that very specific niche of runners, that's been really effective. So you're, you're talking about performance here and, and yeah, I want to get into that a little bit more. Like you mentioned the runner who just starts running and, you know, um, doesn't really have a huge um, base of physical literacy, right, of, of movement skills in multiple directions. And they can do just fine to complete that first 5K and complete that first right. 10K. But mm -hmm. when it comes to changing the focus from completion to performance and potentially building mileage into the half and full marathon distance, it's a, it's a different game. You're right. What would you tell someone who has performance as a goal, but doesn't engage in a focused lifting or strengthening program, but maybe, you know, does the, the DVD after work or goes to boot camp and hit classes, you know, is that enough or should they be doing something more specific? Oh, that's another really great question. That one really does come down to training age when it comes to like what that person's background looks like with strength training and lifting. In the beginning phases, it really can be that something is better than nothing right? You're applying a novel mm -hmm. stimulus and you're just training in a way that you haven't trained before. 
I suppose where that becomes an issue is when it comes to the volume of the strength training they're doing. So if they're doing, you know, a really intense workout DVD five nights a week and they're running five days a week and we're going to kind of you have some competing priorities at play, right? So let's say those are the type of DVDs where you know, they're intense, they're hit, um, you're moving quickly. One of those where you're trying to get as many reps in as you possibly can. We're training metabolically. And as runners, we do, we do that anyways. So right. I would almost argue if you're going to do that, you'd probably just be better off running more miles because it's the yeah. most specific versus, you know, choosing a lifting plan that's a little bit more focused on the neurological demands. It shouldn't be hard in that classic runner's variation of hard where you're sweaty and your heart rate's elevated. You're out of breath. (laughs) You bet. Yeah. It's not a zone four or five workout. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, I really like how you you put that in the context of heart rate, right? Mm -hmm. So the individual lifts or the movements potentially might feel challenging, but we're we're not trying to speed through things as fast as we can. We're focused on quality of movement and progression uh, week by week. So that can be the other thing is just stagnation. I've been doing the same DVD for seven years and it's like, okay, well, right. you know, you're, you're, you're maintaining, but is that really producing any progress or, or, or adaptation? Likely no. Can you explain this? I, I love where this conversation is going because I think that there's a a mindset that a runner brings in general. I find yeah. that runners typically, they bring their same mindset to every single thing that they do. So they bring their runner's mindset to their strength training, yes. right? Where they're trying to get, like you said, like they're doing the high reps, low mm-hmm. weight or mm-hmm. whatever. And um, the type of strength training that I would imagine that you would prescribe a runner, yeah. which is not that metabolic Correct. Yeah. kind of stuff, right? It's the higher weight and lower rep. You're taking lots of rest in between. What happens neurologically, strength-wise? What happens inside a person's body that is so beneficial yeah. for the injury <laughs> prevention, the running economy, all of the things that you talked about? Oh, this is such a fascinating question. I think over the last bit, I've kind of really tried to refine my answer. So it's a little bit, so it's easy to follow. And what we're really looking to do there is increase the pool of recruitable muscle fibers. Okay, so Bingo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're not trying to, you know, train in that strength endurance zone. And I see how runners got there, right? They're like, this is an endurance mm-hmm, sport. Absolutely. I should train for strength endurance. And I would kind of flip that back to, to my original point being that, well, if you're going to train for strength endurance, you might be better off just going for a run. Um, there's certainly yeah. times where that's beneficial. There's certainly times where we need to spend time practicing a movement. And it might end up being really repetitious, right? In the beginning phases. But if that's not the goal, then absolutely we're after increasing the pool of recruitable muscle fibers, meaning we're training our our brain and our body to be able to call on muscle fibers that it wouldn't necessarily be able to easily access if that does a good job of covering it. I don't know if you can provide some support on on really giving that context, but why is that important? Well, as we fatigue, it's really beneficial for us as endurance athletes to be able to have more muscle fibers to call upon, right? And then we look at hypertrophy on the other side, which would be increasing the, the muscle fiber size. And I think sometimes runners are really nervous about that. And I don't think it's always necessary, but one term that I've always really liked is task-specific hypertrophy. 
there's certain mm-hmm. areas where, and I, please feel free to interject because this is more within your scope than it is mine, but there's definitely certain areas where runners would benefit from from tasks that specific hypertrophy we can spread yeah, out before. <laughs> Yeah, I would. I sorry to interrupt you there. I would 100% agree as the trail runner in the group here. You know, I'm thinking specifically mountain running, mountain trail running. Mm-hmm. There are times you need your calves <laughs> to right. work, right? And and you know, downhill running, your eccentric loading, yes, on your quads and even on your low back, right? Yes. Um, and later in a race, as you fatigue, that's when your form starts to fall apart if you can't call on every muscle fiber in your body <laughs> to do what it needs to do. Absolutely. But what you're saying, Lindsay, is that programming strength for those neuromuscular gains that a lot of your athletes might be after is a totally different thing. Like they're not going to get huge muscles yeah, right. doing what you're prescribing them. But if you were, you would be programming entirely differently if you were, um, wanting hypertrophy or or increased muscle size as the end goal is yes. that, right great point so how we would manipulate those variables in terms of sets rep load and what we're asking we can elicit different types of yes. adaptations and generally what we're after is that neuromuscular adapt those neuromuscular adaptations yeah yeah okay so have you noticed any trends in the types of blocks or barriers that runners have about implementing strength. In my experience with people, they all understand, like on some yeah. level, they might not be able to to speak about it in, in so coherently like you have, but they, they get on some level that it's good for them. But in my experience, that doesn't always translate over into action. And I'm a perfect example of that. And that's why I hired you. <laughs> so what types of blocks do you see runners have in terms of just getting started? think that in regard to strength training for runners, there's a lot of information out there. And I think sometimes that can cause a lot of confusion, which just leads to inaction, right? This is so overwhelming. You have Lindsay over here telling me that, you know, this is how I need to train. And then you have these people and they're like, this hit program for runners is amazing. And this person's like, buy my glute DVD. This is mm-hmm. awesome. There's a lot of competing information. And I think that can be really difficult to navigate. I also think it's a really challenging topic to find great information on. I mean, a few places that runners can look, but I think, you know, they wouldn't necessarily go to right away are, are, are books on strength and conditioning in general, because as runners, we're athletes and, and what we're asking our runners to do isn't so far off of what another athlete in a different sport would do. Volleyball, basketball, triathlon, hockey, the skills so much like running start out general and get more specific. And that's definitely like where you would see a difference in programming, Mm -hmm. but the training philosophy I would say is is much more consistent with kind of what we've come to know as, as strength and conditioning versus I think if you were just to Google strength training for runners, you would just see a lot of programs that really promoted strength endurance, so high rep, low weight. So yeah, I think it's the confusion. I think it's the prevalent attitude that to be a good runner, you need to run. So people will spend their time there, especially if they're not, you know, injury prone, they've never had, you know, a a type of an injury that's left them sidelined. It could be really attractive just to continue to run more miles versus change gears and, and, and do some strength training. 
let's say you've got a person that has improved and they're doing the DVD or they're going to boot camp and they've improved. If they eventually plateau, which often often happens, right? Do you ever have trouble impressing upon them that maybe it's time to switch up that boot camp or that hitch class because often we fall into what what got me here like this is what got me here though so this is what I need Mm -hmm. to keep on doing so kind of a hesitancy to switch gears um to to abandon something that has gotten you gains to date yeah because I do see that I we think we see that in running often right well you know this has worked for me in the past and it's a little bit challenging to make the argument like hey yeah, it's worked for you in the past, but is there a better way to do this? Right. And I've bumped into this before. Well, yeah, I've run a marathon without fuel and it went fine. It's like, yeah, it, it might have. It might have gone okay, but what would have happened if you did fuel it? <laughs> you know, yeah. could it have gone better? And I get that. I also understand, you know, with things like boot camp classes and stuff, there's a big sense of community there. Mm-hmm. Their friends are there. It's a fun place to go. And the social side of it's so important. And actually in those cases, I will do my best. So I never, I never mince my words, right? I'm not going to be like, ah, you can do it all. It's all going to work out and be fine. But sometimes with an individual, it does come down to balancing different priorities for them. And if that class is really important to them and they have performance goals, first and foremost, to be honest, yeah, it's probably not ideal. But if this is important to your mental health, if this is something you look forward to and love, let's figure out a way to fit fit it in. And sometimes that means you're changing some things that are going on within that class. So if there's, you know, a running section or whatever, hey, like hop on the rower instead or hop on the ski machine Mm -hmm. instead. Don't don't double down on the running. I think this speaks to kind of the softer skills of coaching that you were talking about before like yeah you can take a course and you can learn but it's about working with a person and really hearing them and hearing that no this class is important to me like this is where I meet up with my friends we go to dinner afterwards and it's a big part of the fabric of my Mm -hmm. friendships and so then you have to weigh the pros and cons does tearing that boot camp class out from under them just to get a minute increase in their running performance is that worth it is it a worthwhile trade-off yeah is it worth it you could also argue that you know taking that away could take some of the enjoyment from running out of that right so now I'm like you already sacrifice a lot as a runner right sometimes skip out on like I mean it's COVID right now but like skip out on an evening out because you do your long run the next day right so there's already some sacrifice involved and it's like okay at what point does that sacrifice become unhealthy so if we can include that and we can set some parameters and hey you know maybe we're not doing that class the last four weeks before your marathon I think we're all better for it you know you're you're speaking to in my mind I'm constantly thinking of the two c words every runner wants a strength program to complement their running not compete with it right and if as as a coach you know, you can, you can help figure out how to integrate strengthening into the running program so that you're not sacrificing the quality of a workout tomorrow. You're not sacrificing your mental health. (laughs) You're not sacrificing the things that you love. And I often see, you know, generic 
quote, running strength programs as being, guess what, running simulated exercises. Mm -hmm. I've kind of been on this mission personally to put the cross back in cross training (laughs) and to get people moving side (laughs) to side and twisting and actually moving in different directions. I love how you said that, the cross back in cross training. Heck yeah. Yeah. So it's not just getting on a bike. Like that's not cross training. That's just simulating the same motion as closely as you can without, you know, the same load. But I guess my question is for the average runner who maybe doesn't have a coach or doesn't have the capacity to hire a coach, talk to us broadly about some of the things a person should consider when building a run specific strengthening program. Good question. Really, really good question. So I think first and foremost, you really want to look at the integration into your seasonal plan, what type of work you want to be doing and when. And I think a really nice way to look at that is just like you would look at your your plan, your seasonal plan for running, right? You would most likely start out very general. And as you move towards your, your race date, you would funnel and get more and more event specific, right? And the same thing goes for for your strength training. And I, you brought that up, that specificity to running. And what I would suggest someone would do, especially if you're brand new to strength training and you, you know, haven't done a lot of time in the gym, start with the postural side of things. Learn how to move well, unloaded, perfect, you know, things like the squat and the lunge. So in any given program that I assign to someone, I'm sure Carolyn can speak to this one, <laughs> squat hinge, push pull, and some type of rotary stability. We talked about mm-hmm. that, that rotation, anti-rotation. Those are elements that will be included weekly, always. So it doesn't have to be fancy and it doesn't have to be a ton of different movements. You get your squat in there, you get your hinge in there. So some type of, of deadlift um, that can be sometimes a really inaccessible exercise for people and be very, very difficult for runners to learn in the beginning, uncoached. So, you know, what? maybe throw in something like a bridge instead. The push pull is, is decently self-explanatory. So pulling exercise, like a row, a pushing exercise in the beginning phases, you know, could be something as basic as maybe um, an elevated push up, you know, where your, your upper body's elevated. And then so a squat inch push pull and rotary stability, um, some type of movement like, uh, you know, a paloff press is beautiful or a dead bug or, you know, a lateral sort of side plank or something along those lines where the focus is really on that, that stillness and stability in the trunk. It, it doesn't, you have to go looking for these insane exercises. And mm-hmm. I love Instagram for that because it's a wealth of really interesting movements that could very well fit into your programming. I think where people get lost is how to integrate that type of stuff. So I would turn like tune out the noise, tune out like the fancy, the fancy stuff you're seeing on Instagram, move towards the basics, get good at the basics. Once you're, you're, you're great at the basics, then you can start to potentially load these movements and lift a little bit heavier. And then you can take them towards more specific movement. And what I would mean by that is going from, so bilateral, like a squat to unilateral, like a split squat or, or a lunge, for instance. And then monitor your program. So for you as a self-coach athlete, the same goes for running. Keep a log, check in. Is this is this helping me? Am I, I noticing, you know, improvements that in my running that I would hope to get from strength training or improvements in my running that I'd hope to get from training for 
you know, this, this 5k that I'm training for and really assess how it, it leaves you feeling. So at first, especially if you, you've never done any type of strength training before, there is very likely going to be, you know, some soreness, the muscular soreness that's produced and that's okay. We don't want that to be the theme of strength training. It shouldn't be competing with your running. So I'm so sore from these lunges. I, I couldn't go out and do my easy run. I really couldn't go out and do my, my quality session the next day. Realize that that's fairly normal in the beginning. It shouldn't last long. And if you're choosing to implement something like strength training, you know, don't do it six weeks from a goal race, right? When you're doing that, probably your hardest running, try and select a period of, of, of downtime or when that training's a little bit less intense to introduce something new. Awesome, awesome suggestion. So if I'm hearing you right, you're really nailing the quality of the movements first. You're learning how to move Mm -hmm. with your own body weight before you're ever piling on external loads, heavy external loads, especially, right? So Mm -hmm. how often are we talking about here? Like for that time crunched runner, which most, most people are to, to some degree or another, what is the best way to fit this strength training in? Like how often should they do it? Once a week, twice a week? Is it different for a more experienced runner who's running like 80 kilometers a week versus someone running 40 kilometers a week? Like talk to us about sort of frequency. Oh, frequency. That's a really good question. And and yeah, in the question alone, you, you kind of settled that a little bit. It, it does depend on training age. So if you're used to lifting twice a week, you know, for 30 minutes or 45 minutes, you're probably going to need to sustain that volume or continue to change some of the training volume or training variables, sorry, so that you can continue to adapt and improve in the weight room and and therefore kind of support your running with that. But for someone who's new, this could be as simple as once or twice a week, 10 to 15 minutes. And you know what, I think if we can probably throw a really helpful resource for somebody that doesn't you know, isn't ready to hire a coach or is in a position to hire a coach. Um, we've totally talked about this one before, Carolyn. It'd be Jay Johnson, Sam Routine. Boom. What a place to start. Totally. I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. It's very well. And the videos are good. They're well you produced. Bet. And it's like, you put that on when you come back from your run, mm-hmm. do it at the end of the run yeah. and you're good to go. Can you repeat who that was again? Jay Johnson. Okay. Yeah. Quite a phenomenal resource. Yeah. I'll link it up. Excellent. Yeah, please mm. do. And you know what is so interesting about that is his Sam routine, as well as his like legs, swings and lunge matrix yeah. are so widely used. I was at a coaching course the weekend before last and uh, it was really funny because it came up in the course right away when the instructor was like, oh, easy leg swing, lunge matrix, way to start a run. <laughs> so I think you would be pretty darn safe pointing anyone towards SAM. So it stands for strength and mobility by Jay Johnson. There's a couple really good things going on there. Like Carolyn said, the videos are fantastic. They're easy to follow. And if you listen to Jay Johnson and Richard Hansen talk back and forth, they also do one heck of a great job explaining what they're doing and why they're doing it. And I think that why is so important. important. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't like strength training and someone's telling you like, here's like four or five reasons why this is awesome. Your buy-in goes way up, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're also progressive. So I believe there's five different levels of strength and mobility. So that progression piece is so important, right? Otherwise, we're continuing to do the same thing again and again. And at some point, we're going to stop improving, right? So the progression piece there is great because it actually takes the athlete from some really excellent exercises, most of them happening 
on the ground, which is always great, especially in the initial phases, because it just promotes a little bit more stability. If you're not the most confident athlete and, and, you know, things like squats and lunges are a little outside of your grasp at first, this is a great place to start, but it works you all the way up to introductory and then eventually um, some more challenging plyometric work as well. So it's, it's pretty beautiful. Awesome. Okay. So COVID happened in this last mm-hmm. 12 to 13 months. Mm-hmm. And a lot of runners saw a significant change in their running routine. Some didn't, some kept running same as normal. I'm curious with the newfound time that many people had in this last year, did you see an uptick in interest in strength training in your clients during COVID? Are people using this extra time that they may or may not have to ad- address strength deficits and become maybe more well-rounded athletes? I would give that a yes and a no. In some cases, and one thing I really did advocate for, especially early on, was like, hey, this is a little bit of like almost an impromptu off season that we wouldn't otherwise get. How can we look at this period of time a little bit differently? And like you said, do some stuff that maybe we didn't do before. And there was a a really good buy-in on that side of things when it came to strength training. Interestingly enough, probably about a month ago, I saw something come across my desk and it had been a fairly in-depth survey of runners over the course of COVID. Um, and it was trying to figure out like what had gone on with injury rates. I don't know if you guys saw that. It pointed to there being quite an increase in running volume and, and an increase in running related injuries that went along with it. Yeah, too. I could see that, especially with all of the virtual events that happened concurrently. Yeah. You had runners trying to run 2000 miles across Tennessee and another, yeah. <laughs> you know, this virtual event and that virtual event with that with lack of a focus of a single event. Yeah, yeah. I did see a lot of people significantly increase their mileage. And, you know, mm-hmm. you think that, yeah, if people have extra time, maybe they'd become more well but I think also it just occurred to me that I personally didn't have the mental bandwidth Good point. to add on anything new last May, June, July. It was like, I got to do what I know and adding on anything new was just too much to even think about. So there might be that element as well. That's such a good point. It is it's true. Like people were just used up. The mental currency wasn't there. And I think for many of us running can be a bit of an escapism too, right? So it's like, okay, this is my 30 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever to get out the door. And I think in that regard, it can be really hard sometimes not to get carried away. Yeah. Yeah. I understand that. I definitely don't see that as like, you know, people not trying to survive and thrive. I think we were all really doing our best there, but uh, I found that information really fascinating. But at the same time, same as you. I wasn't super shocked. Well, I was in the the camp of people who was like, okay, this has got to be a good opportunity for something. What's the novel (laughs) stimulus? Oh yeah. I'm (laughs) always like blowing off my strength training. Like I'm making it seem like it was maybe worse than it was, but it just wasn't something I would consistently do on my own all the time nor was it something that I felt overly competent, like the mm-hmm. basics for sure. And, and the Sam routines like have saved me. So I had some competency, but to do periodized and, uh, you know, to really complement and support my running that I felt like I was out of my league for coaching myself. And that's why I reached out to you. So it has been a great, um, opportunity, like a little bit of a blessing in that mm-hmm. sense. 
if you're in the frame of mind to take on something new. So I have to thank you for that. So if you don't mind, I'm going to totally switch gears here. And um, I wanted to pick your brain about nutrition. And I know you're not a dietitian. We'll throw that caveat out there right off the bat. But I know that a lot of people take up running as a way to manage their weight. Yeah. Right. And so do you have thoughts on, you know, running for weight loss versus running for performance? Because mm-hmm. at the heart of it, to me, they're, they're at odds with each other. They, they compete with each other. And I know, like, by the way, people, Lindsay is a great follow on social media. So if you're not following Lindsay yet, it's at Coach Lindsay Runs, right? Correct. Yeah. So you've posted a lot about nutrition and like fueling the long run and mm-hmm. and the workout. So do we need to think differently about our fueling when we're strength training versus when we're doing an easy run versus when we're doing a long run or a workout? Like, how do you think about that? Oh, that's a really good question. And I, I do appreciate the preface. And I would always say, you know, if someone is struggling with nutrition, your first stop is someone who's really qualified to speak to that in the context of running. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit to unpack there because a lot of people do begin their running journey as a way to, I think I even said that as we were talking in the intro, I just wanted to stay in shape, you know, mm-hmm. and it becomes really rooted in either a way to lose weight or manage weight, but then they fall in love with running and their focus shifts and they want to you know, see where they can take this set a personal best. And I agree. And I couldn't agree much more that running for weight loss and running for performance are our competing priorities and my official stance on it is they need to be done in isolation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As difficult as it is, I can't support a runner. And I always support a runner as a human being, but if someone were to come to me and say, yeah, you know what? I'm looking to drop five pounds in the next six weeks, but I'm also training for a 5k. Can you help me out? My answer would have to be, no, unfortunately not right now. Mm-hmm. Followed up by good reason. And I know we kind of talked about even before the podcast starts, we were talking about reds and that's why <laughs> I'm relative. I was just going to say why. Like if I came to you and said, yes, I, I want to lose five pounds and I want to run for a 5k and you said, I can't coach you. I, my first question would be, well, why not? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. As it should be. Right. I mean, yeah. I, I even think like the responsibility as a coach answering a question it has to be accompanied with a good reason why um because it can be super confusing right because it seems mm-hmm. i think maybe logically that those two things could go hand in hand and yeah relative energy deficiency syndrome is, is probably the biggest one and i think a lot of times people think oh this is for elite athletes and and for professional runners and it's not for normal people <laughs> however you want to define normal and it is though and when we're looking at you know fueling for performance and the hormonal implications that come along with underfueling and running or not even a lot necessarily, but running relatively a lot, we're exposing that person to injury and overtraining. And I, I am of the headspace that it needs to be done separately. So if you have weight loss goals, find an amazing dietitian that can help and support you through that. And then mm-hmm. when you're ready, to pursue performance goals, do them separately. Yeah. 
Well, a lot of people count their macros, right? Like they mm-hmm. have some sense of the composition of their calories or how many calories they eat per day. And they have an idea that they do need to eat a little bit more on the days mm-hmm. that they are training. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you say to the person who is tempted to run a calorie deficit mm-hmm. <laughs> on those non-training days because they're not training and then only uh-huh. eats like a hundred or 200 extra calories on like a long run day. Yeah. You know, I probably would refer them to some, you know, almost instead of a- answering that with, with a direct answer, I, I would refer them to someone who could really dig deeper and give them better information on that topic you know, and I have my, my own, my own reasoning for sure. But I think that sometimes when these things come from uh, a professional who specialized in that area, they can be a little bit easier to listen to. So I probably would actually not, not dig too deep into that one. We definitely need to take care of ourselves on, on days when we're not running and we need to look mm-hmm. at running and training. We really tend to get focused on days and weeks and, you know, miles per week and miles per day and those types of things. But our body doesn't know days and weeks. It no, you know. No. And I think that's where things get confusing. I'm not running so much today, so I'm gonna eat less. I'm running a lot today, so I'm gonna eat a little bit more. Yeah. It's the earn and burn mentality. Yeah. I have actually never heard that. But I think yes. it was Jason Coop. I was just gonna say I think it was Jason Coop that says that the body doesn't know miles, it knows stress. Yes. Too, right? Like mm-hmm. in it, Yes. It, all life stress, all, mm-hmm. you know, your walk with your kids and your bike bike with your kids after your run still counts, yeah. right? Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, I, it's, it's interesting because I'm now a bit more in the business world and we talk about lead measures and leg measures. And I think of, you know, people are going to lose weight when they run right? But it happens as a result of the training. If you make Mm -hmm. that the lead measure, losing weight to Mm. perform, I think that's when you get into a bit of danger. Would you agree or not agree? I don't know. I, that's a tricky subject because it's true. Yeah, it is. It's a really challenging subject. And I, I think sometimes the opposite is true too. You'll see someone go Mm -hmm. through, um, a marathon build and they're like, I gained weight during my marathon build. Yeah. That's absolutely feasible too. And, and there's definitely lots that reasons why and what and what can kind of go into that as well so I think really teasing out the weight from the running is is so hard to do and I empathize deeply I hope it doesn't come across as you know me preaching because I absolutely have struggled with the exact same thing myself (sighs) taking the two apart and making them their own thing has been been very healthy for me you know, um, I'm going to run a marathon to lose weight. I'm going to run a marathon to run a personal best. It's really tough to say what will happen, you know, if you'll gain weight during that build or lose weight or maintain. Um, everyone's body is, is so different, right? On social media, I loved one of your posts, and I wish I had it up here to actually read it verbatim, but it was something along the lines of, like, does anyone ever ask you how you get so motivated always to go out oh. for a run? Like, something about, do you know the one I'm talking about? I do, Yeah. Talk to us about motivation. What is your hang up about that motivation word? Right. I guess you could say maybe I do have a bit of a hang up um, with the word motivation. I think mostly because it can be so misleading for someone, right? It, it, mm-hmm. they're, they're either seeking motivation. So something that, you know, externally really makes them like want to get up and get out the door. And that can be challenging when that you're, you're reliant on that as your reason mm-hmm. for doing what you do. I've always been really drawn towards the idea of internal motivation. 
I think I say this a lot. I'm like, okay, if you set a goal and it's like a pie in the sky, crazy goal for you. And then someone told you, so your coach said, okay, but you can't tell anyone. You can't post about this on social media. You can't put it on Facebook. It doesn't go on Strava. None of it. Would you still be as motivated and as excited? And I would hope that the answer would 99% be, yeah, it's still like, I would do this if no one ever saw it, you know? And I do, you know, I'm always a little bit, I guess, enamored by the influence of social media on how people run, particularly posting workouts and stuff on, on Instagram and Strava. And I'm definitely not against it. I think different people use it different ways. And some people are, I guess, to use the term motivation, motivated by seeing what other people are doing. Whereas we have other athletes and instead of being motivated, it's almost the exact opposite. It gives them a sense of I'm not doing enough. So when it comes to getting rid of the idea of motivation, what I would like to see is it replaced with the idea of, of dedication. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit more substantiating. It doesn't right. go in and out with the tide like motivation might. And it's that's what gets you up at you know 5 a.m. or out when it's raining and, and those types of things. So I think it certainly, and that one's not instant, right? To build dedication, you know, habit building behavior, that takes some time and it takes grinding through some really, really hard mornings to get out the door or whenever it is you run. One thing I would say is it will come with time. Mm -hmm. You know, the word motivation for me has always given me a mental picture of pushing. Yeah. And dedication lands somewhere more grounded like it's a it's that big base right it doesn't necessarily pull for me the pulling word is inspiration Mm -hmm. inspiration pulls me out the door motivation pushes me out the door and dedication is kind of that foundation under it all and um yeah I don't know that's just the way I think of it no I think that's amazing I love it I think built into the idea like when someone says to you how are you so motivated like what they're really saying if you're listening underneath of that is like I wish I had that it seems like you always just want to go at the door and when people say that to me I'm like but I don't always want to go at the door and that's where the dedication or the commitment or the Mm -hmm. discipline like whatever Mm -hmm. I don't always feel like it but I've learned through repeated practice that when I get out the door five minutes later I'm like okay this isn't so bad Mm -hmm. and I'm oh I'm really and I never regret going out Mm -hmm. that type of thing so that's how I don't always feel like it but I know that the feeling will follow the action yes and so I think this idea of motivation like it could be semantics and we could be yeah talking in circles over semantics but I think it's motivation is fleeting but that dedication or that determination Mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it is something that can be cultivated and I think that's what Mm -hmm. people don't realize that they have the um, they to empower someone to realize that hey I can actually build this through my own actions over time and that's all you've done when they're saying that to you right correct so yeah yeah I, I, I like that and do you have a way of helping somebody you know, helping a runner who might be more externally motivated, <laughs> find that internal motivation or, or mm-hmm. like how do you help them set goals or rekindle the passion for the sport when, especially now when mm-hmm. races are, are few and far between. Perfect. 
I think that it goes back to choosing a goal that's genuinely exciting and not overwhelming. You know, for someone who's never run a marathon before, a marathon can seem like a really exciting goal. But when you get into the the ins and outs of training for a marathon, it can become pretty apparent that, hey, like I just don't have the, the time to do this. And it becomes overwhelming. And I think that overwhelm is probably one of the biggest caveats, one of the biggest roadblocks when it comes to success. It's like, hey, you know what? This was cool and this was fun when I was training for a half marathon. I loved it. And then training mm-hmm. for a marathon was just a monster and the wheels fell off and it didn't feel very good. So I think as a coach, creating a very realistic picture of what the training would look like for whatever the goal may be and doing your best to communicate what the time commitment would look like and checking out that point to make sure those things seem and feel manageable. I guess if I were to sum that up really nicely, it would be to start small, choose a goal that mm-hmm. seems very achievable and use it as a stepping stone success builds on success, right? So once you've had an athlete or a runner, whatever, taste success. And I think Carolyn, you really spoke to that too, right? Like you do it and you do it again. And eventually you run a race and you get a good result and then you want to run another race. So you do the training again to hopefully get another good result. Mm -hmm. Choose a really scalable, manageable goal to start with and, and build, but build slower right? We see this like 5k, 10k, half marathon, marathon, boom. And someone's done that within like six months or eight months. And (laughs) you don't even talk to me about the ultra running world. People figure they're going to run a hundred miles in their first year. It's like, um, no true story. Right. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know where. And they're like, well, so-and-so did it. And you're like, sure. Yep. Yeah. But because you can, doesn't mean you should, right? Like, oh exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of people, you know, that have been at this for for a, a decent amount of time probably do look back and think, I wish I'd spent some more time, you know, just working on the 5K, working on the 10K before, you know, I made those big jumps. But yeah, I totally agree. The couch to couch to ultra. Yeah. <laughs> that plan doesn't exist for a reason, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have to bite my tongue so many times on certain, you know, group chats that I see. I'm just like, okay, quietly shake my head and move on, Kim. Anyways, yeah. this is my yeah. platform here. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned the best way to keep your passion alive with running is to find something that genuinely excites you. You bet. So let's let's flip that back on you now. What is genuinely exciting you in your own running these days? Are you training for anything? Oh, that's such a super question. So I haven't raced in a couple of years and I think that's probably worth talking about because I'm launching back into the world of, of running again. In 2019, I had two stress fractures. So I had uh, one on my right tibia, medial tibia, and that was followed up very nicely with one on the left side. So mm-hmm. yeah, oh my goodness. it's like a lesson in return to run. Don't take my course. <laughs> there was some I laugh but it's not it's not really uh mistakes were made anyways um and then with coronavirus you know there was just nothing to be run in 2020 so um I have my sight set on a, a, a couple of different things I've definitely really been waiting to see things really open up before I'm, I'm super bold about signing up for a race and going for it I definitely have a bit of an all-in personality and I, I I will go all in with the training and I just don't want to see something like a marathon or a half marathon, you know, canceled like a month out. 
because mm-hmm. I'm not super inclined to race that stuff virtually. So yeah. I've scaled my goals a little bit differently towards the 5k and the 10k because those are the types of things that if those races get canceled, I'm comfortable racing on my own. Mm-hmm. I don't think I, you know, whatever it is that, that people have that they can go out there and race a half marathon by themselves or a marathon by themselves. I'm not cut from that cloth. I think I can hang in there for like 35, 36 minutes <laughs> max for a, for a 10k <laughs> and then I'm, I'm kind of done um, mentally. So um, I'm actually running um, a 5k on the 24th of April with a few fast ladies that are you know, quicker than I am. I'm lucky to have those, those ladies around. And then I'm not, not totally sure, but I, you know, I, I have anxiety and pre-race nerves and I needed to put something out there with a couple other people and a firm date on a calendar just to, you know, get the rust off and <laughs> get excited about racing again. So yeah. as far as it stands, there's that I would love to see a marathon happen in the fall and I would be be all over that but I'm kind of waiting for some clear signs that that's a a for sure before before I get too too invested in that I think Carolyn you're in the same camp aren't you you'd rather run a virtual five or ten k yeah versus a marathon yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. even at even at half the half is like the highest that I would go Mm -hmm. um I'm with you. I'm still on the fence about doing a half virtually but I would certainly do a five and ten virtually so yeah I think it comes back to like manageable goals. And I I definitely know for me, it's like the training part of it. Okay, for sure. I love that. But the racing side of it, like, well, is the race really doable for me? And I know it's a for sure. I think it's a definite no for a marathon situation. But uh, well, I'm going to speak to you from the other side. Just don't do it. If you have performance as a goal, just don't do it. <laughs> but it's back to what excites you. You know, if it does yeah. excite you to run a marathon by yourself, you know, on a pre-marked course, don't do it. Right. If it excites yeah. you to maybe knock off a 5K in 18 minutes, then do it, you know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah. For sure. I just totally agree with that. It's too short to do stuff you hate all the time, right? So, oh, that's so true. Yeah. It's so true. You don't even get a medal. So yeah, <laughs> I'm teasing, Sometimes but you do. Well, yeah, that's true. That's super true. Well, we're coming to the end of our podcast here and we have our five rapid fire questions that we right. ask all of our guests. So you've listened to an episode of ours before. So I think you've heard, you know, what's coming. Yes. What is your favorite running mantra or motivational thought? Relax and flow. Mm, I like that. Do you have a favorite place to run? Anywhere where it's n- not windy or snowy. And I'm great. <laughs> you you live in Alberta. not windy. The wind, <laughs> holy. I think maybe that's just my current like Achilles heels. I know you live here all the time. Yeah. Don't move to Winnipeg. Yeah. <laughs> place to run, check. How about bucket list race? I would love to run the Chicago Marathon. Come run it with me. Okay. Let's do it. You really don't need to convince me. <laughs> 2022. <laughs> Maybe you better plan for 2023. <laughs> or or 2023. I'm not really picky about what year I do it. I just want it to be a real race. I was supposed yes. to run it last year. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would be all about that, though. That makes it even better. <laughs> do you have a favorite running book or movie? Yeah. You know, I really love 
oh, have you guys ever watched the Prefontaine movie? Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I could watch that again and again and again. I think it's brilliant. You know, my favorite running book, though, is The Science of Running, Steve Magnus. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. yeah I've been listening like, to that. I'm only halfway me. through. Yeah. It is a beauty of a book. <laughs> Do you listen to his podcast too, the Magnus Marcus on coaching? On coaching, you bet. Yeah, yeah I'm a, a very, very dedicated listener of that podcast. And yeah. I, quite frankly, I, I think probably one of the most impactful podcasts that I listen to regularly as a coach. I always yeah. walk away with something that I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know, this is great. Yeah. Oh, what Same. a good podcast. Yeah, he really... He's very evidence-based, but also interesting, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. That they really, really blend the science and art of coaching. Yeah. And I appreciate yeah. that. Okay. Do you have a favorite post-run indulgence? Yeah. I I like to nap. If I can nap after a run, that would be just the best. It doesn't happen as often as I would like, but gosh, that's the best. So, Lindsay, you have provided so much value for our listeners today, and I was alluding to the fact that you're a great follow on social media. So please let uh, everybody know where they can find you. Sure. So I'm most active on Instagram, where I am Coach Lindsay Runs. Excellent. We will put that in the show notes. Okay. Before we close this episode, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? I just hope you all run really happy. (laughs) This is how you're spending your free time. So make it wonderful and enjoy the day today. Don't get too hung up on that next race. Wonderful. Great advice. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us tonight, for continuing to develop your, your craft and being an amazing coach to so many people, including me, and a huge inspiration to me. So your, uh, your athletes are all very fortunate to learn from you. So thanks again for everything tonight. Thank you both. 